Well, again, today we go into our series on Colossians, and we'll actually get to Colossians this time. We stayed in Laodicea last time, but we'll be looking at the book of Colossians. So if you want to open there to Colossians chapter 1, that would be great. And we're going to look at the first 14 verses as we get going here this morning. And I've got the King James rendering, but uh, whatever you have, read along. I think it'll do you good to uh, read along with me. The actual verses won't be on the screen today. I think you getting into your your own Bibles is is a good thing. So we're going to do that. Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you, both all of you that are here and those that are online. Again, Paul's letter to Laodicea, we're calling this the Colossians, because as we looked at last week, in the end of Colossians, it tells the Colossians, whenever you read this book, make sure it's read at Laodicea, and then make sure the Laodicean letter is read here. We don't know exactly which letter is the Laodicean letter. It may be one of the missing letters, but we know that this Colossians letter is important for Laodicea. And that is us. Sermon title is Qualifying the Unqualified. And I don't know about you, but do you get offers for various things to purchase if you qualify? Any of you get those? Like I get it for every, seems like many things. Um, New windows for the house or solar panels. And they say, you know, Check it out if you qualify. Well, what they're doing is they're getting all your information <laughs> uh, so that they can continue to contact you. But it's, it's funny, almost every time I qualify, isn't that something, to spend my money on their product? But the good news is God has qualified us for an inheritance that will not fade away And when God gives an inheritance, it's different than when we give it. When we give an inheritance, we have a certain amount and, you know, it gets divvied up. However, it gets divvied up. Not with God. Everyone gets the full inheritance. Come on and say amen if that's good news. And so we look at qualifying the unqualified today. Paul would say in this very letter, put on love and be ye thankful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, and we are thankful for all that you have done for us. Thank you for your holy word this morning. Please come, be our teacher. Speak through your Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds. Bring forth from the word what the word says, that we may be comforted, encouraged, and challenged where need be. We thank you in advance for being with us today and sending your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 1. But first, let's review just a little bit. Last week was on Laodicea. We looked at the verses about Laodicea, the last church, Revelation 3, 14 through 21. And we noticed that Laodicea was counseled to buy three things. Do you remember what those were? Right, gold, white raiment, and ISAB. Now, do you remember what they represented? The gold represented faith and love, right? Or faith that works by love. 
Galatians 5, 6, and 1 Peter 1, 7 and onward, that your faith is more precious than gold which perishes. And then the white raiment, what did that represent? The righteousness of Christ, right? And we saw that and we looked especially at Revelation 19, 8, where we are told that the bride has made herself ready and has put on the righteousness of Christ or the righteousness of saints. And then the ISAB, what was that? Holy Spirit enlightenment, right? To understand truth as it is coming forth from God's word. And so that's a little review of what we looked at. And then we took quite a bit of time and looked at repentance. Because Christ says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, therefore, and repent. And so be eager to repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Of course, with our kids, I was actually talking with one of our greeters at the door about this this morning. We don't really do them any favors if we never rebuke and chasten, correct? I mean, to overspoil our kids doesn't usually turn out good for them or for us. Now, of course, on the other hand, as we'll read later in this letter, you don't want to overdo it either. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Interesting, it says fathers, not mothers. <laughs> but um, maybe mothers wouldn't do it as much, I don't know. But um, for sure, there's a balance there. And, you know, every kid is different, right? Every child is different. So you don't handle every child. And it's the same in a school, right? You don't, I mean, you have to have guidelines that are the same-ish. But yeah, in a family, you have to adjust a little. May God help us as we raise our children in this uh, age of electronics. Two quotes about repentance. Repentance is a gift. Acts 5, 30 and 31 says that. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So we saw that repentance is a gift. We saw that someday this repentance is going to go so deep and so wide that it will encompass the whole church, both leadership and members alike, and it'll be a real heart experience. We saw that from Zechariah 12 verse 10, where it says, I will pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem both leadership and membership, I believe, the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Who's the pierced one? Christ himself, right? And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So that's the experience that awaits us as we allow Christ to take his place on the throne of our hearts, giving us that gift of repentance. We saw also that Christ does not rest, fully rest until we do, right? In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them and bare them or carried them all the days of old, Isaiah tells us. So Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his people. 
He's the only one that can do that. All right, Colossians, we go to now, verses 1 through 14. You've been sitting a while. I wish you would join me in standing. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? I would appreciate that. That'll get us maybe take a deep breath. I know it's easy out there. I've been out there. You know, I stand here, and of course I'm talking. I'm not going to fall asleep while I'm talking. That would be embarrassing. But it's easy sitting there, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, this is comfortable. And I've been there, you know. Um, Sometimes I listen to sermons (laughs) from the pews, and sometimes I am starting to doze off. So hopefully this will help us to not do that as also we listen to God's holy word. Verse 1 through 14, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have for all the saints. By the way, there's the gold tried in the fire, right? Faith and love. For or because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit, as it does also in you, since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. And as you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Colossians, its location, its inhabitants, and a little bit about why Paul wrote the letter. So it's located about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Now, if you remember, Ephesus was the mission center uh, in Paul's third missionary journey. He spent more than two and a half years in Ephesus, and we're uh, studying that in the book of Acts. We've gotten past that little part, but We're uh, still in that general area. And from Ephesus, all these other churches in Asia were started. It was a missionary center. Oh, that Battle Creek Tabernacle could be a missionary center, amen? Where we're starting churches all over the place. That's what was happening in Ephesus. And that's where um, 
the Colossian church rose up from uh, as Epaphras was the one who probably led the church. And Paul had never met these people in Colossians. He didn't set up this church per se, but in a sense he did because it was his teachings that went out even unto Colossae. There were three cities there, Heropolis, Colossae, and Laodicea that formed a little triad. It was an important trade route at one time between east and west. And the cities were fairly close. Colossae was 10 miles from Laodicea, 13 from Hierapolis. <clears throat> it had once been a large populated city, but not when Paul was writing the letter. It was already declining. And now you can find basically nothing of it. Its inhabitants, for the most part, were Gentiles, but there was a considerable amount of Jews, maybe as many as 50,000. Uh, one uh, Barclay wrote that maybe as many as 50,000 Jews, so it was quite, quite mixed. The timing, we're looking at AD 61-ish, somewhere in that area, during uh, Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. He pens this letter and he understands that they are struggling with a complex bundle of heresies that had come into the church. One having to do with the deity of Christ. Do we have teachings against the uh, Godhead or Trinity today? Yes, we do. Um, and sometimes in our very own church. And so Paul is, he, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the negative or the error or the heresy itself, right? What does he do? He preaches truth. He exalts Christ. And that's exactly what he does here. Another thing they were dealing with was a form of spiritualism in saying that man is only accountable to himself, which is interesting. And so, so that was happening too. Then you had ascentism, which Paul later in the book, chapter two, he says, do not touch, do not handle. Why do you do these things? They're, they're not helping the situation. So an over-legalism leaning. So you had, you had two ditches, right? You had heavy legalism on one side. You had kind of Greek philosophy on the other side. And you know what? Even today, the devil doesn't mind which ditch he gets you into, right? I mean, if you're on a snowy road and you go into one ditch or the other, <laughs> you're, you're in the ditch either way. And uh, <clears throat> the devil would love to have us in a ditch, but God would have us on the road to victory. Amen? So these are some of the things that were going on. There was also a syncretism going on, which is just basically a, well, so we have places, ice cream places that have 31 flavors, right? And so a lot of the religious people said, yeah, let's have 31 flavors of religion all together. Sounds like indigestion, right? <laughs> Spiritual indigestion. So I'll take a little bit of Christianity, but give me a little bit of that Buddhist. Can I have a side of Buddhism and, you know, a little bit of that uh, old, um, you know, give me the feast days and that stuff, you know, from ancient Judaism. And so this is what Paul was dealing with in this situation, this syncretism. And we have a form of that going on today, right, with this new world order, trying to get everybody together. Well, we can get together on some things, but when it comes to Bible truth, we've got to stand for what the Bible says. Amen? 
And so that will never work. That kind of unity in that way, as they're pushing, will never work. Another thing that was coming in was Gnosticism. And this was just the early stages. Gnosticism hadn't really been uh, fully understood or taught at this time, but it was the early stages of it that um, God is, is good, matter is evil, right? So the, the two cannot combine. And um, so these are the things that Epaphras came to Paul to tell him that were going on. Philemon tells us that, that he came to visit him in his imprisonment, uh, certainly to serve Paul, but also to confide in him regarding the dangerous teachings confronting the Colossians which we will get into later on. So because of the rising tide of human philosophies confronting us today, this New Testament book is certainly one of the most relevant to us today. <clears throat> the center of this movement of syncretism going on was a rejection of the Bible and of Christ. And of course, this whole new world order, they're promising, um, well, if you listen to the religious aspects, they're promising a thousand years of peace. Yippee, no more wars, no more hunger. But Jesus says, when they promise that, and when it starts to come together seemingly, then sudden destruction comes. So there will be no thousand years of peace on this earth. And if you want more information on that, talk with one of us or the Bible workers, and we can tell you, because that's a common misunderstanding, that that thousand years of peace will be here um, on this earth and that it's coming soon. So do uh, understand that correctly. So to combat all these errors, Paul speaks to them, but he mostly uplifts Christ, his personhood, his divine person, and his finished the, finished, the nature of his finished work of creation and redemption. So it's a beautiful book, Uplifting Christ. That's what we're getting into here in the next uh, six or seven weeks. Charles Wesley put it this way, he said, the preeminence, the all-sufficiency of Christ, thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee. I find. Is that your experience? Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick, and lead the blind. Just and holy is your name. I am all unrighteous, false and full of sin I am. Thou art full of grace and truth. So as we walk the streets of old Colossae, I pray that Christ in his preeminence will come through to your hearts and to mine like never before. And remember, from where this epistle was written, right? Where was Paul? In a dark, damp, dirty dungeon. <laughs> and he tells us to rejoice. Well, if he can rejoice from there, we ought to be able to rejoice from our seats. Amen? And so we go into the book of Colossians today. Again, just briefly, I love doing series because I can stop anywhere, pretty much. Uh, so I don't have to uh, take you over time. <clears throat> but let's look on at verse 1 and onward. Verse 1, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle. 
Now, he's calling himself an apostle here to make a point that he has authority over the church because there are errors in the church and he must speak to those errors. And so he must refer to himself here. He doesn't always in all his epistles, but he does here as the apostle of Jesus Christ. And I love the second part, by the will of God. By the will of Paul, he would still be chasing after the Christians, right? He would be Saul. But by the will of God, his life is changed. Oh, that our lives may be changed today. And he has with him Timothy, our brother, he calls him, to the saints, verse 2, and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His pretty standard opening, right? But it's super important. Grace and peace. Who doesn't need grace and peace, right? Today. Oh, how we need God's grace in our hearts and his peace. Verse 3, we give thanks to God. <clears throat> and this is the King James says, to God and the Father. Probably that and in the old, uh, in the scripture is probably not there. So we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And that's something you see again and again and again in the Pauline epistles, praying for you, praying for you. And um, indeed, prayer is such an important part of his ministry. And as he's dealing with um, some other teachings in the church, I think Paul would remember uh, back to Moses and how Moses, in dealing with the rebellion that he was dealing with in his time, said, look, he says, he says, if you have to take them, take me also. Remember that? He was willing to give up his life for them. And Paul said it, right, in the New Testament. He said, that I would be accursed for my brethren. That's the spirit we must have in dealing with one another, even when we don't agree, or even in dealing with error, as Paul was doing and so he prayed in love for these people, many of whom, again, he hadn't visited personally, but uh, still in his heart had a love for, and he'd heard the report of this church which had risen up. Verse 4, since we heard, so we pray always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. And then verse 5 is very important. <clears throat> Because of, now King James says for, and that's a good word, but it's also translated because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So here we see faith and love are coming forth from hope. And so this hope is very important, and it's important that we understand what hope means in the Bible. Because we hope for a lot of things, right? I hope I get this for Christmas, or I hope it doesn't, I hope the wind dies down by the time I get out of church, or, you know, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Hope is an expectation, right? It's a confident expectation that something's gonna happen. It's not like, oh, I hope so. No, 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 it's, it's I have this hope, right? It, it's a very different thing, right? And so this hope inspires faith and love for the brethren. So we too can have this hope, amen? 
the hope, the confident expectation that Christ has given us through his gospel. And I could take you through, I won't today, I've probably got about 20 scriptures here, I wasn't going to have you turn to them, but on the gospel. And um, just say this, the gospel is by faith, results in love, rests in hope, reaches the world, reproduces fruit, and is rooted in grace. And it's also, the gospel is also reported by men. <clears throat> it is something that we are not to be ashamed of. Paul said he was willing to suffer for the gospel. Jesus said he proclaimed the gospel. Revelation 14 calls it the everlasting, what? Gospel. And so this good news of Christ's birth, his perfect life, his death for our sins, paying the price uh, for us, and then, of course, resurrecting, and now him as high priest. This is part and parcel of the truth of the gospel that Paul talks about here. And we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We have an assurance of something that God has done for us. Skipping down to verse 7. As you also learned of Epaphras, or Epaphras, depending on how you want to pronounce it, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. And he was probably the, uh, the one that set up this church. Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, we also, verse 9, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. There's prayer again. To desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That is the ISAB that we talked about with in Revelation, right? That you might understand God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And not just understand his will, but follow his will and want his will more than your will, right? That's the important part. Sometimes we know his will, but we want our will anyway. And that never works out well. And so, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So having knowledge, but then increasing in knowledge, right? It's not a one-time thing. We, we continue to dig into the word. And I want to encourage you again today. Read the book of Colossians this week. Maybe read it every day. You could probably read it in 15 minutes. It's only four chapters. Certainly, I think you could do it in half an hour. And I think you'd be blessed and you'd come with more understanding when we uh, share again next week. But he says that you'd walk worthy, being fruitful, increasing in knowledge. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now, that's an interesting statement in the Greek because strengthened with might, these are both from the word dynamite, so powered with his power, you could say, um, or strengthened with his might, as the King James says, according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. We got to stop right there because these three things, if we get these together, with, and we can only do it in his power, then we will have something that is amazing. And that is these three things are long-suffering, 
uh, our patience, long-suffering with joy, right? Sometimes we're patient with situations, but we're not joyous about it. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be patient, but I'm not really happy about it. But when Christ is dwelling in the heart, right, we can be patient, we can be long-suffering with joy. And that is so effective in everything, right, in our relationships. If we are long-suffering, we don't give up on relationships, right? Uh, something happens in a marriage or, or in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, you don't, right? You, you don't give up. <laughs> you have long-suffering. Christ wants to give us that long-suffering with joy. So just a little dig down on these words, and we're going to close soon here. Patience is actually endurance, probably better translated endurance. Uh, hypomone means to remain under. So you're staying under the canopy of God and his will, amen, and what he speaks and what he does. Rather than you speak, and we've all, <laughs> we've all been there, we've all done that, right? Speak out a turn. No, 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 you remain under. You remain under, you remain under. Humbly remain under Christ and let him do. That's what this word endurance really means, is to remain under. And the other one, long-suffering, pretty much like it sounds and means like it sounds. It could be uh, more translated long-passioned or long-tempered. So it's the opposite of somebody with a short fuse, <laughs> okay? Long-suffering. Don't you long to be that kind of person? And not, be, not just be that kind of person, but you know, maybe you're, you know, you're, you're quiet, but you're steaming inside. That's not what God's looking for, right? He says, with joy. And that is the gift of God, amen? To have long-suffering and patience with joy. That's what God would have us to be. I think of long-suffering <clears throat> when you face irritating circumstances or difficult people. Think of Stephen, right? Wow, that is patience and long-suffering with joy. They're stoning him to death, and he says what? Forgive them. Forgive them. That's only God can create that in our hearts. Amen? And so joy, someone said joy is grace recognized. Joy expresses the experience of the feeling of inner blessedness or gladness of heart at knowing God's favor. When we become ungrateful, we begin to complain, look at people and circumstances with a critical spirit. And that never has happened to any of you, has it? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. But as someone has said, don't complain about the thorns among the roses, right? Be grateful for roses and the thorns. Paul says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Paul is not exhorting us to give thanks for everything, but in everything. I told you the story before one time about uh, my daughter Amaris. I used to drive her... Uh, Charles to Mountain View Academy. We lived in San Jose, basically, and it's a, I mean, it should be, it's probably 12 miles. I mean, it's really short, but it takes like at least a half an hour and morning traffic and so forth. 
And, you know, she would be combing her, you know, beautiful blonde hair. And then when it came time for me to clean out the car, I was in my own pastoral way, you know, sort of, you know, oh, all this hair in the car. And I swear the Lord, <laughs> this is if you went, he said, Rob, he said, there is another option. And I thought, hmm, wow. I love this hair. I love cleaning this hair. <laughs> I'd much rather have that option than the other option. Let us be grateful today, amen, for those things and look at the entire picture. Well, we're going to see a picture of Christ in Colossians, which I think is unmatched. And in closing, a story of a picture of Christ. Story is told of the celebrated German sculptor, Von Daniker, Napoleon came to Von Daniker and said, I want you to make a statue of Venus for the Louvre in Paris. Great gallery there. Von Daniker said no. An enormous sum of money was then offered. He still refused. The emperor angrily demanded the reason. And Von Decker answered, sir, I have made a statue of Jesus Christ and I can never lower my chisel to carve an inferior object. Then he proceeded to tell a story about this uh, Christ that he carved. The first time he molded Christ, after two years of work, he uncovered the finished statue in the presence of his little girl, and he asked her, who is that? She clapped her hands in admiration and cried, it is certainly a great man. And I smashed the statue and went to work again, praying as much as I toiled. When I invited the girl again later to enter the studio, she went to the figure as if it were alive and said in awe, Oh, I know him. He is the one that said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. And so we continue next week in Paul's masterpiece as he paints to us this picture of the all-sufficient Christ. Let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your holy word and thankful for Jesus, and he is everything to us. And indeed, we need you on a daily, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, dear Jesus, to lead and guide, especially in this time in which we live. So come, Lord Jesus, come into our hearts and minds. Give us that faith and love. Give us that white raiment. Give us that ISAB that we need to find ourselves in the kingdom and to rightly lead others in your holy and wonderful direction. We thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen.